Welcome to Missing Bits. I take great pleasure in introducing you all to Sarah Walsh. Sarah was born last century in 1998 with fibula hemomelia, and I'm sure I'm saying that wrong still, which resulted in an <laughs> amputation below the knee at 18 months of age. This is part one of two episodes that will bring us to the end of season one of our podcast. Next week, we will be hearing from Sarah's mum. Sarah is from Sydney, but currently living in Canberra, where you can freeze one day and run from a bushfire the following day. Sarah loves waves, speed and jumping, and shortly you will all find out why. Welcome to our podcast, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a great pleasure. How's our nation's capital today? Um, it's pouring rain today, so not the best weather that we're having. Oh, we had that yesterday. I don't know if we sent it to you <laughs> or not. But it was, Probably. It was, it, was very funny. No. it was very funny watching all the people at the Melbourne Cup drowning. <laughs> We had uh, 30, 35 mils of rain yesterday. It was sensational. Definitely not that much rain here. But... <laughs> <laughs> so how was growing up in Sydney? Yeah, Sydney is great. Moving to Canberra is a little bit different from Sydney, obviously. Less traffic here and everything's a lot closer. But yep. I had a pretty good childhood growing up in Sydney, that's for sure. What part of Sydney? I was born in Ingerdine, so Sutherland Shire area. Okay. I don't know Sydney very well, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, describe fibula hemomelia to us. So I was born with the condition fibula hemomelia. So you said it essentially, right. yeah, <laughs> I'd hopefully want to say it right. <laughs> <laughs> so essentially, um, in a normal person's legs, you've got two bones below your knee, and then you've got your foot with five toes. I'm not exactly normal. So I was born with one bone below my knee and then small foot with not all of my toes on there. So that's essentially what I have. And then my parents made the decision to have my foot amputated when I was 18 months old. Right. So didn't know any different. Um, so they had the op option of amputation or limb lengthening. So they just chose amputation for better quality of life for me and just to be able to get out there and do things just like any other kid would growing up. Sure. How, how, how do you feel about that? Did they make the right decision? Yeah. Yeah. The best decision they could have possibly made. Everything that I've gone on to do and achieve, I definitely wouldn't be doing that if I had two normal legs. So wouldn't want to, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for those for those out there that aren't anatomy nerds like I am, um, the, the fibula is the, the, the finer of the two bones in your lower leg. So you've got the tib and the fib. Um, and the tibula at the front is the thicker bone. Um, your foot sounds a little bit like mine was. When I was born, I was um, my foot was um, deformed and um, had three toes and, and lots of fused bones in it. So it sounds like we had something similar, but I've got my tibula. Yeah, so pretty close, but yeah. not the same thing, obviously. I'm not the same thing. Uh, I had mine off when I was five, um, so I've just celebrated my 50th anniversary. Of, oh, wow. Um, so I, I kind of see that, like you, I think of all the things that I've been able to do in my life, and I know that my parents made the right decision for me at the time. So if I was, I was to look at your school reports, what would they say in the comments? Ah, uh, perfect child, never misbehaved, joy to have in the classroom, just <laughs> great all round. Mum might say a little bit differently, yeah, but I might, I might ask I'll go with that. that. <laughs> what type of student were you? Pretty good student. Always do my homework. 
Yep. Not the smartest one out there, but got by. Yeah, that's all that matters, really. Yeah. So when you, when you were growing up, there was mum and dad, and you've got three sisters, I, two, I believe. No, two younger sisters. Two so there's three of us all together. Right, gotcha. So how did, how did your dad feel about having so many girls around? Um, look, he's got rid of one. She's moved three hours away, so I'm pretty sure he's a bit happy about that one. But <laughs> he definitely loved having four females in the house, that's yeah, for sure. sure. Um, well, I, we had um, we had two boys, so my wife is the only girl in our family, and I don't think she'd change that for anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what about surfing? Um, yes, I did a little bit of surfing growing up. So I got involved with the Disabled Surfers Association when I was probably about six or seven years old. My parents just took me along to one of their days and I just fell in love with surfing from then. The first day I went out, though, didn't exactly like it. I remember wearing goggles on my face to go surfing, which is probably a bit pathetic. But now... I absolutely love it. Obviously, don't do it as often as I would like anymore because Canberra's got no beaches. But growing up, we always went on holidays to the beach during Christmas time. And being from Ingeding, there was always a beach not too far away from us. So sure. always got out quite a bit when I was younger, but not anymore. Okay. I heard the beaches in Canberra are pretty rubbish. Yeah, look, got a bit of a beach today with all the rain, but <laughs> not big waves. Just give me one second, Sarah. I'm just going to close the door. We've got some sort of um, tractor thing going through. So when you were nine, a teacher noticed something about you. Tell us about that. Yes. She pretty much noticed that I had one leg, which meant that I could compete in school athletics carnivals as part of the para-athlete section. So at the time, I was in year three, and I was not an athletic person like growing up I did play a lot of sports and my parents encouraged me to get out there and do sports so I tried everything I possibly could I did gymnastics swimming netball dancing quick dancing because I struggled to point the toes on my right foot on my prosthetic side sure. still can't do that though so <laughs> not too much of a loss there but um I was introduced to the world of athletics when I was quite young through school at the time, could barely run 100 metres, let alone 200 metres. I'm not the strongest person upper body. If you ever met me, I have quite small arms. So throwing a shot put was a bit of a struggle. Sure. And then long jump as well. But, um, yeah, I just got to go to, like, the zone athletics carnival for the reason of only having one leg pretty much. And I fell in love with athletics from then. And long jump was what it turned out to be the best event for me or the one that I was best at. And, um, as I've progressed, it's now the one that I do love the most. So it all started through school, and I've had a pretty good life with athletics since then. We we all want teachers that um, can can see something in kids. Um, I think that's fabulous. Um, how, how did it, how did that make you feel being noticed like that? Um, yeah, it was pretty special. Like at the time, I was always encouraged to just do everything, just like any other kid in my school but obviously I was never as fast as the able-bodied kids or things like that so to be able to compete against other para-athletes who are similar times or can jump similar distances to you at quite a young age it was quite encouraging to know that there are other people out there like you who have a disability and things like that and it just opened up a whole new world for me and all these other opportunities that I wouldn't have gotten if it hadn't have been for going to the athletics carnival.
Sure. How was growing up? How was your body image? I know um, from my own experience, um, my body image at times was pretty poor. But then on the flip side, I was also a boy, so it doesn't matter near as much as it does to some girls. How did you manage? Yeah, so I never really took much notice in the fact that I was quite different to everyone else having one leg. I just embraced the fact that I was different. I always had groovy, fancy patterns all over my legs. I had ones that looked like Awesome Powers. At one stage, I had Cookie Monster and Looney Tunes on there. Bikini, beach babes, I've had it all. So I just kind of embraced being different. But obviously, I wasn't like everyone else. But I never had a problem with other people thinking differently of me or bullying. I just kind of accepted who I was. But looking back on photos now, I was quite a chubbier, small kid when I was growing up. Like, I was never quite big. But photos now, I'm very small compared to what I was then. But it's kind of funny to look back and see I've lost all that baby fat since then. I think I think we all struggle to look back on our, on our school photos sometimes. <laughs> yeah, not too pretty some of them, no. that's for sure. <laughs> and the older you get, the harder it is to look at them. Oh, dear me. So was was being active in sport and particularly long jump, um, was that an assistance to your body image? I know um, it, there, there's a theory that if you're going to stand out, you might as well stand all the way out. Um, and that that's part of the, um, the the legs, the patterns on the legs and stuff. Was was the sport um, something that helped? Um, yeah, I never really did sport because I thought I was overly big or anything like that. When I say I was chubby, just the fact that I had quite chubby cheeks and things like that. Like I was still a relatively small kid and I'm still quite a small person now. So I didn't do sport for the fact that I wanted to um, look good or look a certain way for my body image. I just did it because I loved it. Sure. Yeah, I, I've got to say that um, I had very few problems with bullying when I was when I was going through school. Um, but the, the the problems that I did have were almost alleviated by um, getting on a sporting field and giving the people that were bullying me a lesson in how to run or how to tackle or it, it just helped me gain the respect of others and and the bullying eased right off yeah I was pretty lucky growing up I never had a single problem with bullying I had such a good life but there was definitely times during school sport where I got out there and shocked a few people by what I could actually do I think sometimes people underestimate what kids with a disability or with an amputation can actually do yeah I I think it's, it's a great feeling when you can get out there and match it with able-bodied kids and come out, you don't you don't have to win, but as long as you um, are competitive and do your best, then people respect you. Yeah, definitely. I think for athletics especially, um, when I first started, I didn't have a blade to run and jump off, so I was just running and jumping off my day leg, which is quite painful, as you can imagine. Yeah. And back then, I didn't have a fancy metal carbon fibre foot or anything like that. So it was pretty much a wooden leg. Yep. And so it was painful. And obviously you can't match it with able-bodied kids or things like that. But as I got the blade, got more confident on there, every now and again, I'd beat an able-bodied kid, even if it was coming second last in a race. But the feeling that you could match it with them and take them on and you're still not being flogged by them is pretty cool to be able to do something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. When did you get the, your blade for the first time? 
Um, I got my first blade when I was 10 years old, so I was still quite young. I just didn't ask for it or anything like that. Just one day I rocked up at my prosthetic company and the blade was there, made ready for me to use. So it was pretty special to be able to put that on. And then from there, that's where my athletics career really took off, having access to technology and things like that. It was pretty cool to be able to do what I do. How did it feel running on it for the first time? Um, definitely a lot different to a wooden leg, that's for sure, but just the freedom that you have and all the extra things I could do that I wouldn't normally be able to do on a normal prosthetic leg. I know, I know um, when, I, when I was growing up, I, I used to run around on one of the old satch foots um, and I had one of those until I was nearly 40 before I got my first energy returning foot. And um, the difference between the two is indescribable. You get, you actually feel like you're walking properly. Yeah, it's pretty amazing you get how the, much you get the bounce, different. You get everything. Yeah. So, I even remember one day I got a new foot and it just happened to have a little bit more energy return and it was just like a normal day leg, but the foot had some more energy return in it. I remember yep. being able to skip just like any other kid for the first time without having to put on a blade or anything like that. It's a great feeling. And it just, yeah, it was such a good feeling to be able to do that and realize that I can do everything else just like any other kid. Yeah. One of the, one of the first things I learned to do after I got my first energy return foot um, was actually hop, hop on my, my bad foot. Yeah. I used, I used to tell people that there was only one thing I couldn't do. I could do anything that they asked me to do. I could, but I couldn't hop on my right foot, and now I can. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to be able to do things like that. I just tell people that I can't point my right toes, so I'm still waiting <laughs> for the day where I can point them, but I don't think that'll happen. No, I don't think so either. Mine aren't going to point either. <laughs> did, you, did you know other kids like you growing up? Um, I met a few people along the way who had prosthetic legs or things like that, but I guess when I was growing up, wasn't such a big social media world now where you can connect with a lot of other people. So um, I guess as I've gotten older, I've started to make more connections with people who have fibula hemimelia or who have been through limb loss or limb difference. So that's been good. But growing up, no one I really knew did have a prosthetic leg. Sure. Do you think that would have made a difference? Probably not. I think you just got to get on with life with what you have. And I think, I learned to do things my way and I don't think I really needed advice or support from other people with a limb difference. I think I just got on with what I had and I think that's probably been quite good for me to be able to stand on my own two feet and work things out whereas I didn't have to rely on anyone else or to see anyone else um, with a prosthetic leg achieve things. I've just been able to prove other people wrong with my achievements. Now, obviously, you're getting pretty serious as you're going through your teenage years about um, your jumping, your long jumping. Um, so you would have had to go off and find a coach? Um, yeah, so pretty much after I got the blade when I was probably 10 or 11 years old, I joined a little athletics club, found myself a coach, and just started learning like development skills in athletics. Like I didn't really do much training before that, and I wouldn't recommend 10-year-olds doing a lot of athletics training anyways. So it was probably after that where I started to learn 
how to run properly and how to jump properly that it became a bit more serious. And then as I progressed and got older, learnt more skills, I've moved on through coaches now. So not to my third coach at the moment, but definitely all three of them have been extremely important to my career and have helped me achieve many things. Sure. How much training do you have to do? Um, so at the moment, I train six days a week, twice a day, so maybe one or two hours at a time, depending on the sessions. Ranges from track sessions, so sprinting and jumping, gym sessions, so strength, circuit, plyometrics, and then also Pilates as well sometimes too. So pretty busy with training, that's for sure. That's pretty serious training. Yeah. So is, is that early mornings? No, I'm not an early morning person. So <laughs> this morning we trained at 11 o'clock, so that's, that's good. That's a good probably time. early enough for me. <laughs> Um, moving on, moving on. you got to represent Australia. How did that feel? Yeah, so I've represented Australia now four times. So the first time was in 2014. I was invited to represent Australia at an indoor event in the lead-up to the Commonwealth Games over in Glasgow. Yep. So back then, I hadn't really taken too much of an interest in long jump or it wasn't my main focus. I always thought that I'd be a 100 and 200 metre sprinter. Mm -hmm. So being invited to represent your country was a bit of a shock to me. I didn't really expect it to happen. But travelled over to Glasgow the first time I competed, represented Australia, also competed indoors as well. My family is actually from Ireland, so all my extended family lives over there. So most of them travelled over and watched me. So it was an amazing experience to be able to put on the green and gold Um and look up into the crowd full of thousands of people and see my family up there cheering me on. So it was quite special to be able to do that. And I was only 15 years old, so I was quite young. But, yeah, definitely gave me such a drive and a determination to be able to want to do that so many more times. So it was very special. So you're you're not just a, 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 a long jumper. You're also the holder of the Oceanic record for the long jump. Is that right? Yeah, I sure am. So I hold the Australian record for the long jump and the Oceania one too. How far is that? Um, my best is 5.09. That's a long way. That's five metres. That's uh, going back to my childhood. That's about 15 feet. About 15 and a half feet. That's a long way. Yeah, it's not too bad. Could be further, but we'll get there eventually. Not too bad. <laughs> 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 Folks, we're talking to someone who's represented Australia, won, worn the green and gold overseas and, and represented all of us, holds a world rec- uh, an, an Australian record, and it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> bit understated there. Uh, two, two, of the, um, two of the most ferocious sports I've ever, ever watched was um, wheelchair rugby and wheelchair basketball. How did you get involved in wheelchair basketball? Um, to be honest, I don't really know how I started with it. I just remember eventually picking it up. Definitely a sport that I enjoyed. Athletics is such an individual sport, so everything is individual. So it's nice to be able to have a change and play a team sport. Yeah. I don't play it anymore, but yeah, I don't remember how I got involved in it, but used to, we had a local wheelchair basketball team 
um, in the Sutherland Shire that I played with. Um, I represented New South Wales a few times as well for wheelchair basketball, but my passion is with long jump. So sure. I kind of gave it up or just stopped showing up to training, just didn't really get the same thrill or excitement out of that as what I'd get doing long jump. But I've definitely had a go at most sports going around. <laughs> I remember um, when I was a kid, I was determined to try every sport that I possibly could, and I played cricket and hockey and I ice skated, um, and I, I just turned, tried to do everything. And I was furious because um, in those days, um, we're talking, you know, 40, 40 odd years ago when I was running around as a teenager, but boys weren't allowed to play netball. <laughs> and I was furious because I wanted to try it. <laughs> I just wanted to try it. <laughs> but um, wheelchair basketball looks insane. Yeah, look, I was definitely a tough girl out there. Chucked <laughs> a couple of people out of their wheelchairs, threw them on the ground a few times, but all in good spirit, all in the name <laughs> of the game, really. <laughs> So why the move to Canberra? Um, so we had World Championships the middle of last year in 2017. After that, the coach that I was with um, decided he was going to pursue other career opportunities. So now he um, has a podcast and he does a lot of motivational talks and things like that. So at that point, I didn't have a coach and I'd come to Canberra many times growing up for training camps. I spent weeks on end here training at the Australian Institute of Sport so I think it was only natural that my passion and where I wanted to be in life at this present time was in Canberra so I found myself a coach down here um, and moved down here the end of last year. Awesome you're enjoying it there? Yeah I absolutely love it here. It's a very nice place Canberra we were there um, not um Last New Year, the New Year before, we were on our way back from Dubbo to Melbourne and we stopped in Canberra for New Year's Eve. And it's just a really nice place. You can drive around freely on the roads. Parking is easy. There's some wonderful galleries to see. And anybody who's going out for the conference next year, just make sure you have a little bit of time to look around because it really is a lovely city. Yeah, I think a lot of people underestimate what Canberra has to offer. Yeah, absolutely. But- if you work out what you want to do when you're here, there's so much that you can do. It's pretty amazing to have everything. Like you never have to drive more than 20 minutes. Like I live 10 minutes away from the city, so it's perfect. Excellent. So your your mum and dad are from Ireland and you've got a whole heap of relatives over there? Yeah, I sure do. Where are they from? In, in what part of Ireland? Um, so my dad is from down south in Waterford and my mum is from up north right on the border in Monaghan. So spread out. But That's very spread out. Yeah. I think it's about a two and a half, three hour drive between families, but right. I've spent a lot of time over there. I was just only over there last month, I think. Okay, cool. They have a nice summer, did they? Yes, they had a pretty good summer and... When I was over in September, they were still having quite nice weather then. So I think the winters only hit them now. I've got I've got an Irish friend um, who told me once that Ireland is paradise, would be paradise if they put a roof over it. Yeah, if it didn't rain every day, yes. it would be a lovely place. <laughs> Part of the Irish experience, though. Yeah. 
It's some place that I've always wanted to go. I've been to the to England twice and haven't managed to get to Ireland either time, and it's it's certainly on my bucket list. Yeah, I highly recommend taking a trip to Ireland. That's for sure. So, what generally generally when I get to towards the end of these podcasts, I um ask people if they've got a bit of bit of wisdom that they can pass on um, to people who might be doing it hard. Do you have a motto that you live by or do you have something that you think about when you're going through any dark times? I think growing up, I decided that I wanted to represent Australia at a crazy young age. So as soon as I got my blade, I realised that I wanted to go to the Paralympics, represent Australia. At that time, I didn't know what sport I wanted to do it in. I just wanted to get there and eventually that dream came true in 2016 when I got to represent Australia at the Paralympics in Rio. So I guess I've just worked really hard, believed in myself, trusted the processes that come and just know that there's so many people out there that can support you. So my family has been amazing throughout the whole thing. They've come and watched me every international competition. We've been to some crazy places, the Middle East, Europe, Rio, but they're always there supporting me. So I think for most people, just believe in yourself, follow your dreams. As cliche as it sounds, it worked out quite well for me and it's something that I'm very proud to be able to do. I don't think that's a cliche at all. I think that's really good good advice. Um, Following dreams is something that people lose track of, especially as they get older. If they haven't been able to, to make any inroads into their dreams, they sometimes lose a bit of hope and it's something to be to hold on to. Yeah, definitely. Like the feeling that you get when you do accomplish what you want to do is incredible. And even if it is just something small, like I wouldn't say to everyone that the Paralympics is for them. It's pretty hard to be able to get there and represent your country and be the best or top of the world in what you do. But even if it's something small, the feeling of accomplishment after you've finished it is pretty amazing. Like I remember after competing in Rio in the long jump, um, I didn't jump as far as what I thought I would or what I wanted to, but I remember leaving the infield, going through media, um, meeting my coach at the end, and he said, oh, like, congrats, you've done it. And then he, like, proceeded to try and break down the long jump for me, everything that I'd done good, during the jump and I just turned to him and said look I don't really care what you have to say like I just represented Australia at the Paralympics and I just broke down crying and then I reckon for about two hours after that I was in tears the whole time like I just couldn't believe that I'd actually done it and even talking about it now I still get quite emotional because it was such a huge achievement for me and to be able to do that at such a young age it's pretty special to be able to realise how far you've come from the 10-year-old girl that was attempting to do long jump to an 18-year-old girl who can now mix it with the best in the world. And like The journey that I've come on is incredible, but I'm so grateful that I have had the opportunity to be able to do that. How much, how much of your success can you load up on your parents? Oh, a lot probably. They're not the most sporty parents going around. They don't have good genes for superstar sports people so I definitely didn't get my sporting ability for them but their support taking me to training every day when I was growing up being there to watch me at competitions like I owe it to them 
Sure. If I didn't have them driving me everywhere, then I wouldn't have been training and then I wouldn't be able to go and compete. So to be able to have them supporting me, I guess if a 10-year-old kid went and said to their parents, hey, mum, one day I'm going to go represent Australia at the Paralympics or, hey, dad, one day I'm going to win a Paralympic medal, I think most parents would just nod their head and be like, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I'm sure you can do that. Yeah. But I was actually one of the few kids that put that into action and eventually got to represent Australia at the Paralympics. So them believing in me and supporting me the whole way has been incredible and I do owe it to them. They probably don't hear it enough from me, but <laughs> I am very thankful for what they've done. I think um, most people who watch athletics, um, they only see what happens that day. Um, most of us only see a Sally Pearson or a Sarah Walsh on competition day. We don't see all the hours and hours and hours and days and weeks and months of training. And I think we forget sometimes too that um, on a given day, an athlete may not be at their best um, physically or mentally and not perform as well as everyone expects. And we as Australians tend to get down on them a little bit. Um, but we don't see what goes on in the background. And I think you guys are amazing. Yeah, definitely. I think people forget that we are human too. Yep. And we do have our good days and our bad days, just like everyone else. But for the 10 seconds that we're in the spotlight on TV every four years for an Olympics or a Paralympics, I think there's so much pressure on us to be able to do what we do to the best that sometimes people do forget that we are human and that some days we're not going to perform as should as well as we should yep. or that we want to. And like for me in Rio, no one saw me in the stands crying hours after apart from my family and the people that were there watching me. The thousands of people that watched me on TV that day didn't see any of that. Sure. But I remember when I was sitting in the stands with my family afterwards, all these people were coming up, like the Rio people that were in the crowd watching me coming up, asking for photos, autographs and things like that. And one lady tried to tell me that I didn't need to cry because it's not the end of the world that I didn't win a medal there. Yes. And like, although the language barrier was an issue, the reason I was crying was not because I didn't win a medal, but purely the fact that I just competed at a Paralympic Games. Like that meant more to me. Yep. than a Paralympic medal on that day. But to the general public, they thought I was crying because I'd lost. Yeah. I had not lost a single thing. I'd won the world that day. Yep, absolutely. I think sometimes people have got to remember that if you're in the final of an event, um, at, at, a, at an event like the Paralympics or the Olympics, whatever, if you're in the final and you come, come sixth, that means you're the sixth best in the world. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think people forget that how big of an achievement that it is to actually do something like I've done. You can sit here and judge people on television, but once you're out there doing it, yep. it's a whole different ball game, and it is an opportunity of a lifetime and something that is so hard to be able to put into words to share with other people because unless you've done it, it's an experience that no one else will purely grasp the emotion and everything else that's involved with it. Oh, I, I can only sit back here and see you guys on my TV and admire you, admire the hell out of you, because I think you're all wonderful. 
So thanks, Sarah, for being so open and honest. And thanks for listening, everyone out there in podcast land. Remember that if you like what we're doing, download the episodes, share them, rate them on iTunes, follow us, or simply join in the discussion on our Facebook page at Limbs for Life when we throw up the link. Have a great evening, Sarah, and thanks again. Thank you. Oh, you're very welcome. It's lovely to talk to you. Hopefully, um, you'll still be up there when we have the conference next year. Yeah, definitely. I don't plan on going anywhere unless I'm somewhere competing. I should be here. Excellent. Maybe we can catch up somewhere for a coffee. Yeah, definitely. Thanks and have a great night.